Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, you know, we're going through this amazing Stanley Cup postseason. The ratings are up in different places. The matchups have been great. And there was this one thought that came to my head while I was watching one of these games over the weekend. Probably the Rangers game. What is your favorite Stanley Cup playoff moment of all time? Whew. That's a tough question, man. Oh, it is, but like I, mean, I think of these things all the time. What are the parameters? Is it like a game when I was in the building working? Is it when I was a kid? Is it something with historical sort of undertones? Like, what, where where are we drawing the line here? What's what's the criteria to to judge this? Whatever you feel is the best way to answer that question. It could be something that you saw in your childhood in person that you think is just incredible. It could be something that you've researched and you've looked at and you think, you know what, like with all the emotions pouring into this, this has to be the greatest thing ever. This could be something you've seen in person while working. This could be something you might have even seen this year. This could be, it could literally be anything you want. So what you're saying is there, there's no criteria. Um, (laughs) (laughs) For sure. As a kid, the thing that got me most excited that stuck with me the longest was the Leafs playoff run in 1993. Probably this best singular moment that I experienced is they scored an overtime in game seven against Detroit, uh, Nikolai Borashevsky. And I was, you know, I was just the right age where that was a big deal. And, And at that point in time, basically I'd never seen, the Leafs win a playoff series and I was a kid. So, you know, that, that had my whole neighborhood excited, you know, but that doesn't historically maybe doesn't resonate, but that, that's something that like sticks in my mind from when I was really young. Um, in my career, probably my favorite cups to that I've been around were the Crosby cups and the Ovechkin cup, like for different reasons, obviously Crosby 09, it was an awesome game seven, two, one win at Joe Louis arena, Crosby unfortunately got a knee injury in that game and was sort of limited, but to see him win that cup after the year before falling short. And then when he won again in 2016, because the Penguins had gone through so much in that seven years. And, and then, you know, really that Washington run was something special just because how great that team was, how great Ovechkin's been. And it, it took them so long to get there. And so those are the ones kind of that, that stand out in my mind, maybe not what you're thinking because it's not exactly moments, but sort of moments seeing those guys with the Stanley cup, it just sort of feels right. I think it's the way we'll feel if we see Nathan McKinnon raise it at some point or Connor McDavid, you know, you, you just feel like the best player should get there. And, and in my career, those are the ones that, that kind of have, have been implanted, you know, strongest in my mind. Those are moments and those absolutely count. Like it doesn't matter to me from your perspective, if you pull out a memory that like a handful of people watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, were not even alive for which I guess I also fall into that because I wasn't alive in 93, but you get what I mean. Like, that's fine. Your, your moments and your memories are yours. Right. Well, and, and I think that there's something about experiencing a sport when you're a kid that like puts it in your blood forever. And so that that's kind of that playoff run, probably like I was already a hockey nut as a young kid, but like that, that that's like, it, it's so strongly imprinted on my brain that, you know, even I got to university, which was many years after 1993, and, and my friends and I sometimes would watch 
they, this, that old tape that's called the passion returns that they made of it. It's corny yes. as all hell, but, but like, you know, like we put that on after a few beers or something every once in a while, like it just, cause it, 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 you associate those childhood memories as such positive thoughts. And so I think most kids, it can be random stuff. You know, like I have a nephew who's a big Canadians fan and he lives in Ontario, but it was the Lars Eller four goal game, which wasn't of course in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but just seeing Lars Eller score four goals for some reason made him a huge Habs fan. And so like, that's what I'm sort of talking about. It's, it's almost when you're young, you're not making a rational decision. You're not thinking I live here, so I should cheer for this team or whatever. It's sometimes it's something as random as one crazy game, or in my case, a playoff run that really puts the sport in your blood for, for good. I remember following the Tampa Bay lightning run in 2004. I believe the Canadians lost to them. I think what in the second round that year, yeah. And with what St. Louis, Vinny Le Cavalier, because like Russell Fedotenko, Nikolai Abby Bulin was in net. They had a, they had a couple of handful of guys that were just uh, Dave Andrichuk yeah, was Andrew on that Chuck, team as well. He got his cup, you know, at the very end of his career. Oh, absolutely. Like that run was, was pretty cool to follow. And like one distinct memory I have is watching game six of that Stanley Cup final against the Calgary Flames. And it's going like into double overtime. And, and not too long after that period started, you see Martin St. Louis put the puck in the net. And like, I remember just like watching it alone and just being so excited. I like ran from my couch and like jumped into all into like one of the walls in the basement. Like I was like celebrating, like I was one of those hockey players on the ice. And like, I, I, I'm not a lightning fan, I'm not, not a flames fan. I don't, I didn't have any real affinity to those two teams, but I just remember loving that moment so much and just thinking, wow, like this is incredible. So that's like, that I wouldn't say it might not be the moment, but like that's one of my favorite like Stanley Cup playoff moments. And to your point, like when you're a kid, you're not making the most rational decisions or whatever. You're you tend to just you like what you like. Excited. You just yeah. like what you like. Like you don't have to explain it. You're a kid. Absolutely. One other moment that I have been able to really appreciate with time, even if I wasn't watching it live in the moment. But every time I watch it on YouTube, I feel really choked up. Like I literally pulled it up on YouTube and I got choked up the other day is Raymond Bork lifting the Stanley Cup after uh, winning it with Colorado in 2001. Like that is one of the greatest sporting moments ever captured on tape, as far as I'm concerned. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. And I literally got choked up hearing like Gary Thorne describe the whole moment. He is a genius. I yeah. love Gary I mean, Thorne. I'm special. a big fan. What people might forget is, is Bork, look, he, he probably would have played in his whole career as a Bruin, except obviously he wanted to win his cup. He, he authorizes a trade the year before to Colorado and they fall short and he sticks around for one more year and they win it in 2001 finally in a game seven. Um, so, you know, talk about having to push your career to the farthest you know, stretch it as far as you possibly can before winning. And, you know, I imagine like had Jerome McGinley, for example, won a cup after leaving Calgary, it would have been a similar feeling, right? Like Jerome had such a tremendous career as a flame. I think all things being equal might've been a career flame, but you know, you got towards the end there and saw that probably where the organization was heading, we weren't going to have a chance to win. And that, you know, that can be a tough call for a player. And, you know, there's so many good teams. Like you, you give any player, you say, you, you just pick the team you go on. Like you're still not necessarily picking the team that's going to win the cup. So um, yeah. What a moment that was for Bork. I, I'm a sucker for the older player who finally gets a Stanley cup thing. You know, like I, 
I, I love the cut pass line, you know, it usually goes from the captain to that player, you know, whoever's waited the longest. Um, and, you know, pretty special moment there with Joe Sackick and Ray Bork back in 2001. Now it's making me think of, of every team that's left the Stanley Cup playoffs for that cut pass line. Like who on each team is like most deserving to have the cup first. We don't have to like rehash it like entirely if we don't want to. We have so many other things we want to get to on the CJ show. But like, what does Corey Perry get his get the cup first if Tampa wins? He probably does because he's won one early in his career, but it was in 2007, right? Like he was, you know, like every player says that wins it early. He's like, I thought I was going to be there every year. Well, you know, he's also lost the last two cups against Tampa. So there's some sort of Marion Hosa like vibes to, to his his story, um, and so I, I could see him being the first for Tampa. The Rangers, I don't know. They don't. They don't. I mean, it could be someone like Panarin, or but they haven't had as many. They don't have like a grizzled veteran guy. Maybe Ryan Reeves, I suppose, could be their their pick. I haven't Chris thought of this. What's that? Chris, Chris Kreider. Kreider. Yeah. I mean, again, those guys are more mid-career guys to me. Like, they're not right at the end. You know, whereas Perry, I know he signed next season, but, you know, he's truly at the end of his career. So he fits the bill. Uh, you know, it might be someone like Mike Smith in Edmonton, if they were to ever come back. I mean, he's, you know, he's right at the end of his career. Colorado, you know, it could be Cogliano. You know, Darren Helm, who won it early in his career at Detroit. But probably someone from their fourth line. Makes a lot of sense. You know, Jack Johnson on their blue line. They, they do have a few. Eric Johnson. Eric. I was thinking Jack Johnson as well on their team. I think, you know, Ryan Murray. Like, they have they have older players um, on their roster. So, yeah, I mean, look, there's – someone's going to win it. Someone – there'll be some emotional moment. I mean, I, I'm telling you, that's one of my favorite things each year is watching the cup pass. Just what order they go in, what the players are saying to each other. It's It's – I mean, that's that's why we watched this whole two months, really, is that that's that's the, the culmination, the cherry on the top of it all. That is very true. And and we'll, we'll talk more about the remaining teams left in the Stanley Cup final. And, and I'll get David Bastel's thoughts uh, on who he thinks uh, what he thinks is the greatest Stanley Cup playoff moment when we get to him uh, for our You Can Bet That segment. Be sure to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Uh, you have to be 19 and over to gamble at Sports Interaction and please play responsibly. We will have links to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this video. Let's talk about the Oilers first, uh, specifically Evander Kane. A one-game suspension for him. He will not be available for the Oilers as they play game four tonight against Colorado. Could be the final game of their series. It comes after the hit he put on Nazem Kadri from behind. Kadri's out for the rest of this series. CJ, what were your thoughts when you saw the hit from Evander Kane? And is one game enough? Well, I mean, it's he also got a major in that game. So there's a penalty called on the ice. One game probably isn't enough, truly, but I mean, it's one game in the conference final. So it's not just one game either. It's, this isn't, he's not missing a Tuesday in October game. He's missing a game with his team season on the line and obviously a very important player for Edmonton. So, I mean, let's, let's keep that into consideration, but, you know, given how dangerous the hit was, you know, I thought the player safety video did a nice job of outlining the fact that, you know, one of Kane's arguments you know, in his telephone hearing was that that Kadri had lost balance a little bit before the boards. But, you know, if you see it from the various angles, it's pretty clear 
he gets thrown in with the force of the the cross check or the hit the, the boarding you know and, it, and it's in that dangerous spot of the ice i mean if you, if a player gets hit along the boards he can brace himself and and you know players do learn how to take checks there to make it safer but when it's that that distance away there's nothing you can do other than fall into the boards at a high high rate of speed and unfortunately Kadri suffered a significant injury there and so you know i i would have liked to see maybe a bit more but you know i i don't get into this as much i we could debate every suspension for how many games two versus three versus one clearly a bad hit at least it was called a major on the ice at the time i think it shifted the momentum away after that early goal by mcdavid in game three so you know there's already repercussions paid in the game and and now vander kane has to watch as his teammates try to extend the season and give him a chance to, to get back in the lineup i felt like the one game was the league's way of saying we are suspending you for the rest of the series but we can't just come out and say rest of the series because we don't know how many games are actually left in this series. Well, except, wait a minute, Nazem Kadri got a rest of the series suspension at one point. Uh, one of those Boston suspensions, I've never seen it before or since. You know, it might have happened another time and I've forgotten it, but he literally got suspended for the rest of this series at a point where it was unclear if it would go, you know, five, six or seven games. Um, so there's some precedent there to do that. Um, I would have been fine with that, honestly. I think it was a really dangerous hit. You know, partly though, you're you're judging the outcome. It's pretty pretty clear that Kadri's, you know, going to be in tough to even return this season, let alone the series. Um, you know, you never say never because the next round is the Stanley Cup final, and you can be sure if there's absolutely anything they can do to get his hand in a glove and get him where he can grip the stick, that that you know he's going to he's going to do what he can to play. But it, it's going to be tough for him, and so. You know, bad outcome, bad hit. And, you know, I still think it is a stiff penalty, though. Missing a game in the conference final. I mean, you you spend your whole career trying to get to a conference final and to say one of those games has really got to burn. Yeah, and considering that Evander Kane was, was putting up all those goals for Edmonton, he'll be a big loss. So Edmonton enters game four with Connor McDavid, a, an unhealthy Leon Dreisaitl, uh, Darnell Nurse not playing his best series, no Evander Kane available to them. This is a tough challenge for for Connor McDavid. I get that you know you want to win on your own ice and you don't want to get swept, but this is a tough challenge for anybody, even for the world's best player. It's a lot to ask, and you know this is why it's so damn hard to win the Stanley Cup. This is why grown men cry when they lift that thing because yes, you get, you get this deep into the playoffs, like everybody's injured, right? And it's pretty clear to me, Darnell Nurse is injured. You know, obviously we know Leon Drysaddle is playing through injury. You know, look at all four teams remaining, Julian. They're all missing or have a significant injury to a significant center. You know, Ryan Strom left the Rangers game on Sunday and doesn't look like he'll be back anytime soon. Braden Point hasn't been playing for Tampa. You know, the Oilers are down Drysaddle essentially, and Kadri's out now for Colorado. I mean, we're talking about big time players for each of the teams remaining that are gone. And you know, we know in, in the lineup that there are players that are probably on the training table or getting, you know, whatever treatment they can just to play. I mean, it, it's so hard to win. And, and I think that Edmonton, you know, we're, we're you're just starting to, you get a taste of that to, to play this long into the spring. And, you know, I'm not going to say Connor McDavid can't do it. I, I still think Connor McDavid could win a game on his own. I know it's a ton to ask and I'm not saying he has to do that, but he could go have a crazy night and get this thing back to Denver. Right. That, that to me isn't impossible, but, you know, one player isn't going to pull you through an entire series at this stage. And so, you know, 
Edmonton is either going to need to, to find some magic in, in net. Um, you know, I think really what we're talking about in this series isn't them not scoring enough. It's them not being able to limit what Colorado is doing offensively uh, with the amount of pucks that have gone in already. And so what are we at 16 goals, I think, for Colorado through three games. Um, so, you know, if they can somehow tighten up, somehow slow the avalanche attack, obviously for Colorado, missing Kadri is not that's not nothing. That, that's significant given how well him and his line mates uh, had been playing in this playoffs, you know, Lekkanen and uh, uh, Rantanen with Kadri, yeah. really an effective line and, and really in this series too. So uh, there's, there's a way Edmonton stretches this out, but it, it's just hard to see a path. You know, you want to see history sometimes. You, you want, we want to say, oh, it's possible they could win four in a row and do something that's never been done before. It really does not look like it's going that way. And, and, at this point, if you're the Oilers, all you're trying to do is win one game, not be swept, and then go from there. I got to say, though, with Nazem Kadri being out, right, obviously a big loss. But for a team like the Avs who, you know, they, they lose Kadri, they lose Sam Gerrard, Darcy Kemper dealing with, with a, like a nagging eye injury since like the first round. And they still are in a position where they're a game away from the final because they have so much depth at every position. This is the team you want to be. If you are any of the other general managers sitting at home watching the stand, watching the Stanley Cup playoffs play out, like you want to be the Colorado Avalanche, they literally have depth at every single position. And like, even if, if, if they go through a final without Kadri, I'm not particularly worried about this team just because we've seen so many other guys, especially in those depth forward roles, step up. Darren Helm, JT Comfer, Big Val, Val Nechuskin had a big night the other night for this team. They have players who can do it up and down the lineup. They do, but, you know, there, there's two things there. Like if Kadri can't play for the rest of the year, which is a hypothetical at this point. Absolutely. It, it's, it's more wear on everybody going forward. And so, yeah, they, they – they're probably fine to get through this series with Edmonton, but when they come up against either the Rangers or the Lightning, it, it you know there, there could be a price to be paid for that. And you know, I, that's one thing that's amazed me about Tampa is, you know, they they found a way to get on without Braden Point. I mean, that's a it's just a different team when Braden Point's on the lineup. Like having him as your second line center is is a gift. And and you know, if you look at what he's contributed to their two cups the last two years, I mean, he's. He's been a huge difference maker for them, and they found a way to play on. You know, it, it's possible, but it's it, it's really hard. And you're right. This is the – Colorado's probably the the team everyone would most like to emulate because I, I don't think Tampa's as deep of outfit. You know, they lost a number of forwards last year. I know they've, they've done what they can to replace them, but I, I don't think that they're – they boast the same depth they did, you know, in, in their two cup years. And then, you know – the Rangers are on their way up. I, I don't see another team as deep as Colorado, but that doesn't, doesn't guarantee victory. It does give them probably a bit more confidence and, and certainly gives Jared Bednar more options when he's dealing with the, the kind of injury and absence he has with Nazem Kadri. But this is, this is still not going to be an easy run uh, without him. Uh, you, you can patch a hole, but you know, your, your second line is really important. I think when you get into, when you're down to this few teams and, and you know, clearly Colorado's second line's worse off today than it was as we entered the weekend without Kadri. So transitioning over to Tampa Bay, New York, the Lightning getting the job done in game three. What did you think of their performance? I thought that game Sunday might change the entire complexion of their playoffs, honestly. I mean, they they looked like it was going the wrong way on them. It wasn't just that they lost two games to the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. I think they were outplayed in those two games. It just, you know, it, it was... Easy to start wondering, was that nine-day layoff too much for them? 
Are they running out of gas? You know, start filling in. And yet we saw one of the great counter punches you could expect to see. Like, like they were impressive, especially for the back half of game three. Like that, it was an all-out assault uh, in terms of puck possession and the amount of time they spent in the Rangers zone. Um, you know, it, they needed all of it to get the win. You know, obviously coming back from two goals down, they, they get a couple power play goals and then that that beautiful winner from Palat with 40 odd seconds left. Um, you know, to me, that was, that was the sign. I was like, okay, these guys could actually go on and win again. Not that I doubted them per se, but you know, you, you could start asking those questions. I mean, to me, the will was still there with them in that game because that's, that's pretty much backs against the wall time down to nothing in game three in a series are already down to nothing. And so now we got a series. I mean, I, I think that this, this, uh, this sets up pretty, pretty juicy now moving forward because, you know, the lightning still don't have a lot of margin for error, but I think they clearly have new life in, in this round. And, and, you know, Shesterkin to me is the most compelling player in the whole thing because he's, he's been so good. I think he's still outplayed Vasilevsky to this point in, in the series. And, you know, can he keep creating magic? I mean, if you look at the underlying numbers, he basically saves one expected goal per game. That is, there's like one more goal the other team is supposed to score that he's not allowing every game. And that's, that's obviously a huge difference maker where goals tend to be, uh, you know, so valuable at this time of year. That being said, with the way that Tampa was able to provide that counterpunch, the fact that the Rangers, they're the team that managed to win back-to-back games over the Tampa Bay Lightning, like at all. Like that hasn't happened. When's the last time that has actually happened? I'm trying to remember. 2019 when they got swept by Columbus in first round. That is a like that is I mean that's that's significant from the New York Rangers. Like how much of a surprise was it to, not to kind of dial it back, but we should dial it back here because we didn't get a chance to talk after game two. What was how was surprising was it to see that the Rangers ended up being that team? They took that two zero series lead. They still have that series lead after game three. It, it was surprising, especially because they earned it. You know, if you if you watch that game too, like they they took it to the Lightning for huge parts of that game. Like it, it wasn't. It wasn't as though Shesterkin had to make 82 saves for them to win game two. I mean, I think from a process standpoint, the Rangers were full value for that victory. And, and so that's where you start to wonder about, you know, what, what Tampa's outlook is. You know, I think at any point when a team's won twice in a row already, like, you're always wondering, like, do they have can, – can they go deeper into the well still? Like, do they have enough desire still left after they've already been fed? Can they still be hungry? You know what I mean? And – I think you saw that in game three. Now that's not a prediction for the rest of the series, quite honestly, I I don't know what's going to happen here. You know, I think the level of desperation and the way the lightning attacked for, for more than half of game three, I don't know that that's sustainable for any team that that was truly their response given the urgency of the situation. Um, But you know, the the Rangers, I think they got to be feeling good about themselves, not just because it's a two, one series lead. As I say, I think across the full value even as hard of a push as we saw from Tampa in game three the Rangers have had more of the play in the series and and so it's again sometimes you might luck your way a little bit or you know have an individual performance that gets you a lead in a series I think they've earned this lead and so they got to go finish it off uh you know it's right there for them still and and um you know that's what I mean I think this will be this clearly the Western Conference final there's not a lot of drama in it I think there's still room for a lot of drama in this series and everything's pointing me at a seven game series at this point. I, I just, it's just clear that Tampa, Tampa still has the juice. So they're not going to go down easy, but, but the Rangers can play with them. And, and they, they have a goaltender who's offering a, a pretty strong, you know, 
this is a pretty strong statement from Shesterkin this playoffs, especially you know from about midway through round one against Pittsburgh. And so I, I don't know what it's going to go down to, but I mean the, the Rangers got a shot to to beat the champs here, and that's that's a special thing. Could this not be a potential transfer of power? I mean, the Rangers have goal scoring ability. They can play well defensively. They have argue if not the best goalie in the world, one A, one B in Igor Shesterkin. The Tampa Bay Lightning, in some ways, there are some resemblances with those two teams. And the, not to mention the fact that they have been the power over the last two seasons heading into this one. I, I don't know. I have this weird feeling that if the Rangers get the better of the Lightning this year, this could be like this could be like a way for us to transition from the Lightning era of dominance to the potential of something really good for the Rangers going forward. Because this could be a team that could be the class of the Eastern Conference. I've said this before, but they could be a really good team in that conference for a long time. They have everything. How poetic would it be? Because for me, when Tampa really crossed that threshold and the dominance is when they beat the Rangers in 2015 in the Eastern Conference Final. Now, that was the last version of the Rangers, of course. You know, that team had played in the Cup Final in 2014. And Tampa went on the road and won game seven at Madison Square Garden, got to the Stanley Cup final. And, and really, since that, that point in time, has been the consistently the best team in the league. That You know, they've won a couple cups now and, and had a chances to win other ones that they fell just short. So, um, you know, it would be it would be sort of the circle cycle of life kind of feeling. Uh, you know, I'm not it's hard to predict with any certainty, though. I mean, I, I love what the Rangers got going on. And, and it's hard to ignore that many of their best players are still so early in their careers, whether it's Adam Fox, you know, I think you're seeing some of those young forwards come on in this series. And I think we should expect them to get better. You know, Shesterkin himself uh, is still at the, on the right side of his twenties, you know, reason to believe he's got several great years ahead of him. Uh, and so they have the mix. Keandre Miller. I mean, they, they, they just have a lot of good players, frankly, up and down their lineup. And so it could be that, that that takes over this next stretch, but but I'm not going to say that for sure. I don't feel it yet. And and the other part is, you know, someone told me that kind of knows some of the Lightning guys that they do view this a little bit as their they they don't they feel that they probably won't have as good a chances in the years moving forward. I don't I don't think they're going to fall right off the map. But you know, Andre Palat has been sort of one of their really important depth players, upper depth, you know, second line player. You know, he's an unrestricted free agent. I'm not sure if there's going to be money to keep him. Um, you know, everyone just gets a year older. Uh, there's, there's contractual decisions that are going to be pending for guys like Sergachev and Chernak. Sorelli's uh, going to need a new deal. I mean, it's it just as, as things turn over and over and over, I think their depth will continue to be eroded. And so I think the Lightning players know that this might be their last best shot, too. And so that, that's kind of the dynamic is this team that's that's fighting to, to show it's, it's truly there in the Rangers and then. Tampa's got got its hands on the ball and doesn't want to let it go just yet. And that's that's the that's the wrestling match we're going to see play out over the next week or so. Uh, is who who can channel their game the most and find a way to hold on. I, th- I think it's going to be great theater. I really believe this series is going to, you know, the, the other one might be be well done and dusted for a while, and and all the focus will be on on whether the Tampa can move on to a third straight cup or the Rangers are ready to break through. Yeah, at the very least, uh, even if the Colorado Edmonton series hasn't provided the exact fireworks in the way that we wanted it, at least we're, there is the potential that we'll see a truly great team 
advance to the Stanley Cup final as a result, if they get the job done on the Monday. And if that means we have to just enjoy the rest of this Eastern Conference final, I mean, I'm not going to complain. Tampa and New York, I think they've produced some really great hockey over these last few games. So I, I have no problem with that. There are worse matchups. Uh, and one way or another, the Stanley Cup final begins next week, which is crazy to think. Time flies, man. Yeah, and and we get to see like a great matchup between some of the best defensemen in the league. We, we can see a Kale McCarr versus an Adam Fox situation. It could be Kale McCarr versus Victor Hedman as well. Like I, we 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 don't lose if we get those matchups. No, I don't think there's a bad one in the bunch, honestly, and. You know, what you hope is you get to the final, and obviously we talked about the injuries earlier, that, that both teams are able to put a reasonable game forward and, and have a you know competitive series. That doesn't always turn out that way, but more often than not of late, we've had pretty competitive cup finals. And, um, you know, I, I would think that this one will be that too, but it's just hard to know who's going to be there. Will, will Braden Point come back if, if Tampa advances? You know, we've seen him skating. Um, you know, it's, it's a war of attrition, though. You hate to say it, but it's, it's just the truth. I mean, it's... It's it's the best team sometimes, but there's there's injuries and all that to play into who who manages to win as well. So we have to make a little bit of a hard turn here, going from talking about what's going on in the Stanley Cup playoffs to a story we haven't been able to touch on a bit yet uh, here on the CJ Show, and that is the Hockey Canada CHL lawsuit, uh, the settlement uh, with the woman who alleges she was sexually assaulted by eight CHL players. I should mention. Uh, a trigger warning for this part of the podcast. Please be warned that this content may be disturbing or triggering to those watching or listening right now. If you're consuming our content with children or you're underage yourself, uh, this content might not be appropriate for you. Since the story kind of was, well, not kind of, it was reported. Rick Westhead has been all over this. I know Katie Strang and The Athletic, they have also provided their own reporting. Uh, Sheldon Kennedy, a uh, former NHLer who went public about uh, suffering sexual abuse at the hands of his junior coach is calling for details of the lawsuit to be made public. The Canadian government is calling for a financial audit of Hockey Canada. Even the National Hockey League is conducting its own investigation. I know there's not much in terms of our own reporting that we could add to this, but I still think this is something that we have to kind of touch on in some way because it does affect it, the list, seeing the list of a lot, seeing a lot of people look at the list of that Canadian junior team and thinking, okay, well, which players are out there now? And we're not going to get to any names that may or may not be there, but it's something that has been talked about a lot. And at least for me, it, it, it's just it was just a very disturbing story to kind of come across and 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 read and and know that these things still happen, even if it did result in a settlement. It's still a very chilling thing to know that it. Just, just a very chilling thing to just kind of comprehend. Well, it hits on two levels, right? You know, there's the one aspect of people trying to, to figure out who was involved. And unfortunately, because, you know, it's from one particular World Junior team, some people that probably had absolutely zero to do with it might have their names kind of drawn into at least the speculation around that. And so, you know, I think that that's one aspect. It's the second one is is a more systemic, bigger picture question that, that I think Hockey Canada is going to have to face here in one way or another is, is, you know, what they're doing to, to prevent this sort of thing. How did they handle it at the time? And I think that's where Sheldon Kennedy's words really rang true to me. I, you know, I read the, the story that request had put out with Sheldon's comments and, you know, he's just saying in, in his world, uh, you know, way back in the day that, you know, the reports and things used to be the idea was to cover them up or to have them be secret. But he said, you know, the only way to learn from it and move forward 
I mean, unfortunately, nothing really can be done about what happened in London, you know, four years ago. But what can be done is is ensuring that proper decisions, safeguards, whatever it may be, are in place to ensure it doesn't happen in, in future. And so, you know, I, I don't really know how this is going to turn out. But you know, just given the amount of interest in the story, the amount of different parties, whether it's you know government officials, someone with Sheldon standing within the game, you know, making these sort of you know calls. You know, I have to believe, and even the fact the National Hockey League is, is conducting its own investigation, uh, because presumably among the eight John Doe's, one or more of them is currently a player in the NHL. Um, you know, because there, there's that level of, of interest in the story, I have to believe we, we haven't heard the last of it. I mean, you, you can you can reach a settlement. You know, there may or may not be non-disclosure agreements there. You know, perhaps, you know, the victim, for example, you know, won't be able to come out and, and tell her story more than has already been done so through the court documents. But, um, you know, I do think that there's going to be further repercussions here, both potentially for Hockey Canada as an organization and then maybe the individuals involved. That NHL part of it is what intrigues me the most. The fact that there has been calls for details of the investigation to go public, calls for the lawsuit to go public, all this other fallout, and not just letting the lawsuit stand as it is. That surprised me enough. But the fact that the NHL put out a statement and said that they were looking into this, that surprises me the most. And that is what I am intrigued about the most. Like, what could they possibly, what could, what could happen beyond, uh, what, what could actually happen from this investigation? What could they find? What could they actually do? Could discipline come? Like, that is the big key in all of this for me. I, I'm really intrigued at that part. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know where they're going to end up, but, you know, certainly if it's, you know, any talk of disciplining a player or players, you know, that's spelled out in the collective bargaining agreement, how that process plays out, you know, the NHLPA would be involved. It's, it's sort of quite clear about how that, that would work. I don't know if we're going to get there or not. You know, it's really tough to say without knowing more of what they're looking at, but the fact there that they've, you know, put out a statement and acknowledged publicly that they're, this is, you know, on their radar, I do think is, is not insignificant in this case. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to be, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on, on them to, first of all, do the right thing, to set the right example, and to follow up, not just have that be a press release saying, we're doing an investigation, and then it goes by the wayside. You know, I think that there will be pressure on them, there'll be questions about it, I would imagine when Gary Bettman speaks to reporters at the start of the Stanley Cup final, and, you know, he typically does his state of the union type of address, you know, before game one of that series. And I think it, this will be a talking point there. And, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to prejudge what the outcome will be, but, you know, I would say that they have a range of things that they could do. I mean, they also have relationships with the, the sport organization in this case, you know, hockey Canada does enjoy certain privileges as a national sport organization with the government. I mean, that's, I, I don't know where, where it ends up with, with the government officials, but that, that isn't, it probably doesn't go on a hockey fan's radar as much, but it, it could have repercussions for an organization. And so, yeah, I, I, you get the feeling that this, this won't just be pushed away. And, and it's not, it's different sort of set of circumstances, obviously than, than the Kyle Beach situation earlier in the year that Rick West had reported on. But, you know, I do think we're seeing different treatment of these types of stories now in large part because of the work Rick does and, and Katie Strang and others that, that really um, operate in, in, with some of these very sensitive, difficult topics and, and do so in such a professional manner. Yeah. And also with fans as well, them noticing 
those stories as well and calling attention online for it as well. We're, we're seeing changes in, in how hockey fans consume these types of content. I think with the with how the Kyle Beach thing went down, it has definitely changed how a lot of people view those types of stories going forward. So we're, we're definitely going to try to keep on the story when we can, if other details surface. I just felt it was important for us, even though we hadn't, we didn't get to it when it had initially dropped. There have been some updates since uh, the initial reporting from Rick Westhead came. I felt it was important for us just to spend a few more minutes uh, just on this topic today. And even if it was a bit of a hard turn from talking hockey to talking off ice stuff, and then we're going to get to ask CJ now, it was still important for us to have that conversation for a few minutes. And with that, uh, we can get to questions uh, for Chris Johnston. Uh, ask CJ is the segment we do every Monday on this great show. Uh, we have one from scoff underscore 1980 to start. Who got the better return? Joe Sackick when he traded for Matt Duchesne or Kevin Adams when he traded for Jack Eichel? Ooh, you have to refresh my memory. So, okay. so Duchesne ended up being the pick that became Bowen Byram. Yeah. Samuel Gerard came from Nashville, I believe, as part of that three-way deal. Um, yeah. Was there anything else Shane... that Colorado got in that? So in that deal, it is – so Andrew Hammond was also in that deal. It's Andrew Hammond, first-round pick in 2018, third-round pick in, in 2019, and Shane Bowers for a first-round pick in the 2017 draft, uh, also going to Colorado. Nashville – uh, setting a two, 2018 second-round pick. Gerard is in that deal. Uh, Vladislav Kamenev, Kamenev, a second-round choice from 2014. Uh, was Kyle Turris involved in that deal as well? Uh, yeah, there was from Ottawa. It was a three-way trade. It, now, exactly. Me, so, did, so Colorado ended up with two first-round picks? Yeah, so I believe that's with, the – I know Bo Byron was one of them, or I believe it was. Yeah, Bo Byron. So there was, I believe that's the deal where they were supposed to have uh, like one first round pick from one year or would defer to another year. And Bo and Byram ended up being that first. That's if I recall. That's a pretty good trade as far as I'm concerned. Alex Tuck looked great great as a saber once he came back from his injury. And obviously Peyton Krebs is, is at the beginning of his career. I would say Joe Sackett probably did better of those two just because Matt Duchesne wasn't Jack Eichel, uh, which isn't a knock on Duchesne. He's had a great career and he just had a great season in Nashville uh, that just passed. But I think given that, I mean, similar circumstances, because Duchesne and Eichel both wanted a trade. I like the Eichel trade too, because, you know, they're in a tough spot there with, with the whole health situation, you know, it limited maybe the teams that they could trade them to because not everybody was willing to trade for Eichel and let him go through the, the surgery that he had. Um, it's a good question. I'll, I'll go side with Joe Sackick at the beginning, but that's certainly not to say it's not to criticize Kevin Adams. I think, you know, he did a pretty good job under the circumstances on the return there. And, and maybe history will prove me wrong. I'm just, I'm, I'm high on Bo Byram as a player. I know he's had his own sort of concussion related issues that that's, that kept him maybe from reaching his top end yet as, as, as a guy, but he's so young still. And then obviously Gerard's been a, a great, great pickup for, for Colorado. From Optimal Hunter on Discord, do you think if the Leafs have extra cap and roster space at the trade deadline, they bring Spezza back to go for his 1,000th point and another run at the Stanley Cup? Is this from Steve Dangle? 
Cause Steve, no, texted, I, Steve texted me a version of this, like the minute Spezza retired, like he, he already was galaxy braining it. I mean, look at anything's possible. Like there, there's nothing in the rules that would prevent that. As long as you sign before the trade deadline, um, you know, you're eligible for the playoffs. And so I suppose it could happen, but I, I really don't believe it will happen. I, I think that, you know, it was clear this was a tough decision for Jason Spezza, but I, you know, I think he's genuinely moving on to the next part of his career to stay in the kind of shape you have to stay in is, is difficult. Uh, I'm sure he'll remain fit as a human, but it might not be NHL level fit, you know, especially at his age. I just, I don't, I don't see him training and skating on his own this whole season. I think instead what he's going to be doing is probably, you know, shadowing the general manager going on, you know, some scouting type of trips you know, doing that sort of thing and, and, and moving away from his life as a player. So it's a, it's a romantic notion. I get where it comes from, but I'd be surprised if, if that was ever something we saw happen. I, I really believe that Spets's career is over and he's moving on to the next, next phase where he's going to try to win a cup as an executive. From insider Jay Money on Twitter, do you expect any big impacts or have you heard any rumors, difficulties, boycotts about Russians or Belarusian players being drafted and or signed with the ongoing conflict in Ukraine? I've heard of nothing concrete. You know, I saw there was a report out of Russia, but the Canadians and the, the Flyers, I believe, having, uh, you know, basically an internal decision not to draft Russian or Belarusian players. You know, both organizations have denied that. So, you know, I haven't heard anything official that way but you know look there's going to be some chill on the draft i would think i mean we've, we've seen this in the past it wasn't related to a war but you know there was a time 10 years ago that that most teams shied away if not outright refused to draft russian players because they were worried about you know them just playing the best years of their career in the khl and not wanting to come to north america so i i could see it having an impact but i, I don't know of any specific sort of organizational decrees that you won't do it you know when it comes to signing russian players I, I haven't seen any evidence that is going to happen at this point. I mean, there's a pretty prominent free agent from the KHL named Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, I know a number of NHL teams have inquired about him. He's going through his decision-making process right now. Um, you know, could see a team like Vancouver potentially signing him. You know, it, it does seem as though, you know, here's an example of a guy who's available for free, you know, coming off a few good years with SKA St. Petersburg and, and the first chance NHL teams have to, to speak to him. He's, he's having those conversations on a number of levels. So, you know, it doesn't seem as though it's, it's really been something the NHL is, has wanted to go towards. I mean, it, the other sports have, have taken far stronger stances on this, right. Whether it's allowing athletes into Wimbledon that are Russian. Uh, we saw some impacts on the F1 circuit, um, you know, World Cup qualifying and soccer, all this stuff has has seen outright bans, you know, internationally in hockey. Obviously, the World Hockey Championship was just played without a Russian team being represented. I know the World Juniors will be the same this summer, World Under 18s. Um, but the NHL hasn't hasn't gone down that road. And I really don't get the sense, quite honestly, that any teams individually have taken that stance. For this next one, it's a trade proposal uh, just because it's fun. Mark Shifley for William Nylander, and uh, they have similar salaries. Mark Shifley at 6.15, William Nylander at 6.9. Well, essentially, it's the core of a deal. I guess you can add extra parts, but I guess the big deal would be Mark Shifley for William Nylander. They want your thoughts. If you're Winnipeg, it might be tough, and William Nylander potentially could be a center, but he really hasn't done it too much in his career. It's only ever been 
under the circumstances where the Leafs have injuries and, and they're, they're sort of forced to have a stopgap. So I would, I would think that that would be an aspect of the trade that would have to be considered as if it would leave the Jets too short at center. You know, I, I don't think it's a crazy notion as an idea, given that they have similar, I think they both have this year and next on their contracts. So you're, you're sort of dealing the same asset in, in the sense that it's not like one of them is controlled for five years and the other has an expiring deal. Um, you know, I, I don't believe, though, that the Leafs are going to trade William Nylander. I should just say that outright. Uh, as much as all the trade machines online are full of potential William Nylander deals, I don't think that that's really the focus of Kyle Dubas. Um, but, you know, that one isn't – it's not completely crazy. It also doesn't sound like the Jets are that inclined to move Shifley at this point in time, too. So, um, you know – not not crazy, but I, I just don't see that one gaining much traction either. Okay. That last one, by the way, was from SMW underscore Thunder. Uh, this next one is from Evan Scrimshaw. Uh, it's not quite an Ask CJ, more of an Ask JM, but I need the definitive ranking of five best Montreal bars for draft weekend. That is a tough question. Um I also need that ranking, JM, so go on. <laughs> uh, my first thought was uh, Hurley's has to be on that list because a lot of, if, you're, if, you're, if you're that inclined, a lot of the scribes are going to be at Hurley's. Uh, McLean's is, where I, is my go-to for just about everything. Uh, so that's on Peel. So like, if you're going to try to watch the draft, you can't, if you are not able to get into the Bell Center, might as well go to McLean's and watch it there. Yield Orchard is also really good on De La Montagne. Um, and Kevin's on Crescent is also really good. Whatever bar the SDPN will be at, because it looks as if the SDPN is going to post up. Um, I, you know what's crazy? Ziggy's is really popular. I've never been to Ziggy's. I've oh, never, I've never been to Ziggy's. But like, I feel like it's that's been like a good a, hockey bar over the years. I've seen many uh, hockey-related person in that bar. And, and yeah. I'm going back more 10 years time, but yeah, that, that used to be a bit of a spot. Yeah. Like, I think that's what it is. It's like a generational thing. If you're like an older person, I guess, like you're, you're frequenting Ziggy's, but like people around like my, like after I cover a game or after I'm at Bell Center for whatever reason, none of my homies are like, okay, let's go to Ziggy's. You know what I'm right. saying? Like I, I well, would go, nothing against them. I just haven't been. Let's be clear. I'm not saying it's a cool place. It's just, it's got like hockey undertones to it. It's yeah. like, you're likely to see like a GM in there or a coach or something from another team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody. It's just, I just haven't been to Ziggy's, but uh, if you look for other spots, I guess Moose Bar is also really good on St. Catherine. Uh, the big trending will Tavel 1909 is like directly under the bell center. So if you want to get even closer, that's a good idea. What about that well, stretch here, Joe beef? Like the, the, I can't remember what that little area is called Griffin. So you're talking about, yeah, so that's so Griffintown is further out. So you're talking about St. Henry or Low Burgundy, as some people call it. So Joe Beef is there. Low um, Burgundy Lion is there. You know what's crazy about Burgundy Lion? Burgundy Lion, I consider it a sports bar. I've never watched hockey in that bar. I almost exclusively consider it a soccer bar because I mean, huh. the owner there is a big soccer fan, and like every time I've gone there, it's I'm watching like Premier League like upstairs. I like that little stretch of the city though, like the. Like if I have an off night in Montreal, I like to go eat somewhere around there. And, and oh yeah, yeah, it's a good spot. Absolutely, uh, Brutopia is also another spot downtown uh, that could also work. I know I'm mentioning more than five, but there's a pretty good 
contingent of bars, I think. You know what? I was in Montreal in December and Arpin Basu took me to a good spot in NDG. So we got to hit up Arpin too. I can't remember the name of the bar, but we had a good time there. Oh yeah. NDG, uh, well, probably on Monkland. If, uh, if he's taking you somewhere in NDG, it's probably on Monkland because that's the stretch where you go. Uh, Montreal, man, a lot of Put it this way, it, was, it was a bar where everyone knew his name. So I think he's been there once or twice. It's probably, if knowing him, it's probably the Old Orchard in NDG. It's okay. probably that one. It that that's my guess. I could always double check, but that's like the bar on that's like the bar on Monkland, as far as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, a lot of good bars in the city, but uh, if you want to venture venture out and go to NDG, Verdun, Griffintown, I mean Griffintown's technically downtown, but you get what I mean. It, you have some good spots, some great spots. So hopefully that helps, Evan. And uh, hopefully this episode has been uh, a great delight to listen to or watch however you consume our content. CJ, always a pleasure doing these episodes with you. I believe this is episode 77, speaking of Raymond. A Ray Bork episode. Yes, we did. Or our Frank Vitrano episode or Victor Hedman episode. Ooh, that is also very true. Two guys who are uh, doing the battle in the Eastern Conference final, a series that actually still has some intrigue. Thank you so much to everyone who listened uh, or watched this episode on YouTube. Subscribe to our show if you have not done so already. Subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday with stick taps and other great and fun enthralling stuff. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and just do it. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.